tracking your menstrual cycle and being able to work with your hormones on an individual level can accelerate your training adaptations, which means then you get fitter faster without over pushing or overreaching. Emily Abadi here coming to you from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Now, this topic that I'm bringing to the feed today is one that has been long requested from a lot of the hurdlers, but also something that was super relevant to me this week. That is, my friends, the female cycle and training, eating, how to manage it, you get the gist. I am bringing in the expert of all experts, Dr. Stacey Sims, to rap with me about this. Dr. Stacey Sims is a leading researcher and author who specializes in female physiology. And we are going to be talking about all of the things. How does your menstrual cycle impact your training? Why are recoveries typically better during your period? Best practice for training mid-flow. Oh my goodness. There are, there's definitely TMI ahead, I am sure. All Also, let's talk about cycle syncing workouts and nutrition. We get into all of that. Dr. Sims is, again, a super qualified expert. So for so much of this, I, like all of you, was just listening and absorbing information. A huge thank you to my friends at Whoop for connecting me with Dr. Sims. She, I first discovered her when she was on the Whoop podcast. I learned so much. I wanted to bring her knowledge here. Uh, Whoop is also a sponsor of Hurdle. So if you are interested in getting in on the Whoop gang, I have been using Whoop since April 2019, believe it or not. I cannot advocate for it enough. I have a special discount code for you. You can use Hurdle15 at checkout for 15% off any Whoop membership plus a free Whoop 4.0 strap. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast on social media. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Stacey Sims. She's a leading researcher and author who specializes in female physiology. How are you doing today, Dr. Sims? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to have you here today because this is a topic, female anatomy, physiology, how it impacts our training, that honestly, I have not dove into just yet on the show. And we were connected by our friends at Whoop. And after listening to you on the Whoop podcast, I was like, well, this is an absolute no-brainer for me. Talk to us a little bit before we dive in with the particular questions about what encouraged you to specialize in this area of study. Being a very inquisitive um, woman or young female athlete, 
and being involved in exercise physiology in undergrad uh, and seeing things that didn't quite make sense where we would be doing labs and they would throw out my data because it didn't quite jive with what the men's data was doing or asking more specific questions about women in the history of sport when they weren't really profiled or asking about um, women and why they tend to be less um, speed capable and less power. And the question or the answers to my questions were always, well, you know, women are very similar to men or just small men. So we just generalize, or we don't know enough about men to study women or women have a menstrual cycle. And so they're not really included in sports science or medical research because the hormones kind of affect the results. So as a very inquisitive young undergraduate student, none of that really sat well. And so I started really digging and trying to push and push and push. And so that kind of started the be in my bonnet, but also being uh, an elite athlete, trying to get the best out of myself and my teammates and finding that a lot of us were getting overtrained or we weren't being able to peak well for races or our strength programming wasn't getting us to the point where we needed to be. And then retrospectively looking back and saying, well, that's because all the protocols were designed for men and applied to us. So there's just been small things throughout the early parts of my career that have made me been really push and been pushing for, gosh, I don't want to say how many years, Um, but yeah. (laughs) To really push. And I mean, with good reason, right? You found that this was something that we really needed. We really needed to focus on what was going on with women and the female body. And so for you, as you were pushing, aside from the resistance that you mentioned up front, what were some of the other hurdles that you encountered along the way in your studies? Oh my gosh, there have been so many. I feel like, uh, well, I shouldn't say I feel like, I hope that all the things that I have done have paved the way to make it easier for upcoming academics or upcoming female athletes. I feel like every step of the way, there's been some kind of issue uh, regards to funding. It's really hard to get sports science funding. And if you start specifically focusing on women with a question, you often don't get the funding because they're like, well, we don't have the basis to understand this in men. Why are we going to do it in women? So it's always referring back to the cis male, which tends to be the supposed gold standard. Um, Not now, but earlier days. Uh, I've been in a room after I've gotten my PhD presenting to physicians and they would turn to me and be like, well, you're not a real doctor. What do you know? Because I don't have an MD. So there's so many different discrepancies along the way when you're trying to talk about the menstrual cycle and talk about um, how women feel or how they perform. There is pushback even in the research world today where there are other groups who are headed by people who haven't done specific research on women and say, well, there really is no research to support that menstrual cycle phases affect women's performance. And it's like, well, if you look at what you are investigating, no, because the methodology is poor. So I could agree with you there, but we have to redo it to see it if there really is something, because you can't have all of these women across the world with the same similar stories about how they feel across their menstrual cycle and say that there's no effect, especially if it's coming from a man who hasn't done research on women. So there's been these like pushbacks every step of the way, even to a peer reviewing a journal article maybe a month ago. And in it, they said that they, they, 
they recruited 36 people for the study. Three of them were women. And because there were only three women, they didn't include their data. I was like, you can't do that now. Like, why were there only three women? Did you not recruit well enough to bring more women into your study? And granted, yes, three women, that's not enough to draw conclusions because only three, but you don't throw out their data. You write a case report or you say, this is what's happened with three women and you describe it. You don't just say, we don't have enough data to do comparisons. Like even now, I'm like 2022 and you're saying this. So yeah, it's, it's still... It's still really hard when you are pushing against the cis male idea of the gold standard and trying to get people to understand that that's not the gold standard. And if we look at the history and the cultural evolution of what's been happening within biomedical research and understanding that before we had research and science, women were the ones that were heading up medical and we're heading up the healing until they got pushed out by men saying, no, you, you can't be educated. You are a witch. We're going to burn you at the stake because, you know, you, so this is, you know, Salem witch trials is all looking at women who were using herbal remedies or other methodologies that they had learned down the line to help people, but they were deemed as being witches because the men didn't understand it or the men didn't see it as being educational. So like, no, that's not part of the modern aspect that we're doing. So when we look at the history, it's all been through this this gendered lens, this male gendered lens. And even now people have a really difficult time understanding things like protocols for strength training, protocols for testing, protocols for how we eat, how we should be looking at fueling are all based on that male data through that male lens. And until you can actually confront someone and say, hey, wait, we need to look at it from a female environment, from a female lens, they don't get it. Until someone says something definitively to be like, hey, look, we have to understand that we all don't come from that same male lens. We come from a different experience, a different environment. And we have to look at how that might affect what you're saying or what you're doing. And I feel like we could like sit here and like go back and forth on how messed up like so many of the things that you just said <laughs> are. But I, I do. I know it's like so easy to be like, oh, the system is so broken. And let's just like sit here and complain about it and like looking for comfort within fellow women. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We'll save that for another day. And in the meantime, (laughs) we will talk about women and our bodies and specifically our cycles. So I know this is a broad question and I will let you be the one who decides what direction we take it in. But let's start off by talking about our menstrual cycle and how it does impact our training month to month. Yeah. So, uh, For just a brief review for people who might not be completely aware of what menstrual cycle, we say textbook, it's 28 days. Day one is the first day bleeding. Around day 12 or 13 is ovulation. After that is the high hormone phase until day 28, which is your last day, and then day one again when we start bleeding. So estrogen and progesterone affect every system of the body. And when they are lower in the low hormone phase, this is where we're, quote, more like men. We can access carbohydrate well. Our core temperature is lower. Um, We're more resilient to stress. Our immune system is super resilient to stress. uh, And we have the capability of recovering faster. So when we're looking at the low hormone phase, so that's day one of bleeding through ovulation, this is where our body is the most capable of taking on higher loads, recovering from them, and getting really good training adaptations. 
around ovulation, some women feel super flat and some women feel bulletproof, depending on how they respond to estrogen. So we can use that time frame to have another really heavy, hard session because estrogen is anabolic. So you can have really good uh, muscle recovery and tissue building. Then after ovulation, estrogen and progesterone start to come up. And this is where we see all the changes that make us completely different from men, where we have a fuel shift, where we have less reliance on carbohydrate because we can't really access it from the liver and the muscle. Because progesterone and estrogen work together to conserve it in the liver and the muscle in order to preserve what's coming in and shift it over to the building endometrial lining. Because the endometrial lining comes really, really thick with glycogen and, and storage forms of fuel because it is supposed to, well, it's being developed to allow an embryo to then develop. So when we look at the fueling mechanisms there, we have more reliance on free fatty acids. So we can't hit intensities very well. Um, Progesterone is catabolic, so we have a harder time building lean mass. We have more of a breakdown. Progesterone also increases our respiratory rate. It increases our resting heart rate. So our capacity for hitting high intensities is a little bit dampened because our workload capacity is also a bit shorter. Our core temperature is up, so our heat tolerance is a little bit lower. Um, our ability to, again, hit those higher intensities is also a little bit compromised because our increased core temperature. And then we also have the mood factor that comes into play because estrogen, progesterone, cross blood brain barrier, estrogen in particular affect our neurotransmitters and our motivation and our mood. So we start to see a little bit more anxiety, depression, self-doubt. Um, and if women aren't tracking what they're doing and they aren't aware of how these hormones affect us or affect her, then there's always going to be that, that sense of negative self-talk of why didn't I hit my workout today? I didn't recover well. I didn't sleep well. I'm too stressed. I'm not fit enough. I'm not gaining any fitness. And when we know that tracking your menstrual cycle and being able to work with your hormones on an individual level can accelerate your training adaptations, which means then you get fitter faster without over-pushing or overreaching. Man, I'm so happy that I'm going to be like prime in my cycle <laughs> come this weekend when I'm supposed to run a half marathon. <laughs> oh, you'll be sweet. Sweet. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, you mentioned something here, obviously the different times of the month where training may not feel as easy for women that are in that time of the month. What advice would you offer to them if they do have hopes or goals, or maybe they too are going after some sort of big destination moment? So there's a, a nuance here where we know that if we're looking at one point in time of an acute performance, so if you were going to be running your half marathon this weekend and it happened to be like three or four days before your period started, and we know that that's a high hormone phase where you're most compromised from a physiological perspective, you can go out and run that half marathon in PR because the psychological component supersedes the physiological. So if you're like, yeah, I'm going to go nail it. I know that I'm in a high hormone phase, but I'm, you know, taking more carbohydrate in during my race. Um, I've loaded up on protein on the days leading up to it. And I'm making sure that I'm hydrating for during my race. Then you're going to nail it because there's no point in time during the menstrual cycle that there's a negative performance aspect. We talk about training. Training is different. It's a chronic repetition for adaptation. So if we're looking at how we use our hormones to train and 
garner those ergogenic effects of our hormones, this is where we want to do the phase-based training so that we know that we can hit it hard in that low hormone phase because this is when our body's really primed for that. And then we want to look at slowly tapering as we go. So the four or five days before your period starts, this is where we're deloading, where we're working on running technique, we're working on um, economy of movement, we're looking at mobility, range of motion, skills and drills, like really low intensity taking care of yourself. And that's how we're looking at the difference between performance at one point in time that we build up and we're training for and we can nail it at any point in the cycle versus training where we want to harness the aspect of being able to have a wider capacity for workload in the low hormone phase into, yeah, I know my body needs more recovery, especially in the few days leading up to my period. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then a huge part of this as well would be taking your nutrition into account when you're at the different phases of your cycle. So talk to us a little bit about what we can do there. Yeah. In the high hormone phase, so that's after ovulation, we have around a 12, 15% increase in our protein needs. So this is where we really want to make sure that we are eating protein in and around our training. We're having a good 20 to 30 grams at every meal just to keep circulating amino acids up. And the reason why we have an increase in the amount of protein that we need is because our body is building that endometrial lining. So it's taking all the building blocks to actually build tissue. In that also, um, we can't uh, really carbohydrate load per se in the high hormone phase. We just can't shove it into the liver and the muscle because our body is pushing it over to the endometrial lining. To kind of counter that, we want to make sure that we have more carbohydrate available. So we are upping our carbohydrate intake across the day so that we have a higher amount of carbohydrate coming in. And that's okay when women are like, but that means more calories. I don't care about calories. Most people shouldn't care so much about calories. Um, We want to talk about the nutrient density of food, but our metabolism is also elevated because it's building tissue. So we need more food. We need more fuel. And the way that we can counter what's going on with regards to inflammation and changing of the hormones is upping your protein and carbohydrate intake in that high hormone phase. In the low hormone phase, this is where you can get away with a little bit less carbohydrate because your body is more resilient to, to being more metabolically flexible. So it can use carbohydrate, can use fatty acids. It recovers well. So not as much of a paying attention in that low hormone phase as you are in the high hormone phase. But the big rock for everyone is to make sure that you eat enough because there's so many women who are recreationally active that are in a low energy state. They just don't eat enough for what their body needs and their training that they're doing. And it might be that they are following some kind of um, fasting protocol or they're too busy and they forget to eat. So there are big holes between food intake, especially after training. And this is when your body starts to perceive you having a low amount of nutrition coming in. So you start conserving a lot and you have a downward spiral of your thyroid, you have a downward spiral of your resting metabolic rate. And it's really difficult to come out of that. So the big rock there is to make sure you're fueling for your training session and recovering from it. So that way your body gets the signals that there's nutrition coming in and it gets the signal to start repairing and rebuilding after your training session. So instead of delaying and being in that breakdown state, 
you have food to remind your body, yep, there's nutrition. Let's rebuild, adapt, and keep going. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you all about my friends at Beam and specifically their Beam Dream Powder. Listen, we are a 24-7 society where sleep is just undervalued and consequently, many struggle with poor sleep quality. I love Beam because they are dedicated to offering products that may contribute to sleep quality while maintaining an ethical and conscious approach to overall wellness. Their Beam Dream Powder, which tastes like a cinnamon hot chocolate, you are getting more than just a delicious treat. The Dream Powder provides your body with sleep-enhancing vitamins and minerals such as magnesium, reishi, L-theanine, and nano-CBD. I take my Beam Dream about 90 minutes before bed or so on a good night, and trust me, I sleep soundly, I sleep through the night, and I wake up the next morning feeling well-rested and ready to take on whatever the day throws my way. Of course, I have a deal for you. If you head on over to beamorganics.com, that's B-E-A-M, organics, O-R-G-A-N-I-C-S.com slash hurdle, you can get up to 35% off your first month of Dream, plus 15% off everything else on the site. Again, use the code hurdle at checkout to get 15% off anything at beamorganics.com slash hurdle. For someone who feels like their period symptoms could 100% knock them over, they're feeling super sluggish, just blah. Of course, they may, and I'm sure that you may advise them of this as well, want to listen to their body and just chill out. But for someone who is like convinced that they've got to get something in, what do you tell them? Yeah, so everyone's different and nuanced in their in their menstrual cycle. So that's why you want to track for yourself. And there are quite a few female athletes, recreational to elite, who have heavy menstrual bleeding and severe cramping and nausea and bloating and stuff associated with that transition between high hormone and the bleed phase. And if you have heavy menstrual bleeding, then that's something you get some medical help with because it's not normal. And we don't really talk about what a normal bleed pattern looks like and what heavy menstrual bleeding is versus normal bleeding. But if you're like flat on your back and you can't move because of really bad cramps and heavy bleeding, then that's not normal. If you're someone who's feeling sluggish, bloated, some cramping and feeling like, I just can't do anything. What we want to try to encourage is maybe a couple of 20 second bursts of intensity. Because with those few 20 second bursts of intensity, it can even be just running up your stairs, just getting that higher elevation of heart rate, that burst of intensity, it releases more growth hormone and anti-inflammatory responses. So if we have that, then it counters the cramping and the bloating and it boosts your mood. So it's not going out for a serious session. It's going out to do just a couple of, you know, maybe four or five of these 20 second bursts of intensity. So your body's like, great okay, now I'm going to reduce my inflammation and I'm going to have the signaling for anabolic capacities, which helps with the whole bleeding. It helps reduce bleeding and reduce cramping. We can also support by increasing our magnesium and our zinc intake because our immune systems 
coupled with growing tissue and then releasing the tissue, go through a lot of zinc and magnesium. And if we have those on board, that also reduces PMS and the cramping, the bloating associated with the first few days of your period. Got you, got you. And then something else we haven't touched on just yet is the different phases of our cycle and sleep. So I would love if you could shed a little bit of light on that. Yes. So in our, you might notice because our friends at Whoop, right? So I'm assuming that you use a Whoop as well. I do. Uh, Yeah. So if we look at our sleep patterns in the low hormone phase, most of the time it's really easy to get into the green and we have good sleep quality. We have a lot of slow wave sleep. um, We have a lot of REM sleep and our sleep metrics look pretty good. And then after ovulation or really about the seven or so days before our period starts, it's really, really, really hard to get into the green. And we start to see more yellow, maybe some red. And that has to do with an increased autonomic nervous system drive. So we are more in a sympathetic driven state due to progesterone. So if we're in that sympathetic driven state, we have to look at how can we get into more parasympathetic to get into a good sleep pattern. So this is where some mindfulness stuff comes in, where you are um, really taking care of the idea of good sleep hygiene. So your cool room or maybe weighted blanket, whatever works with regards to good sleep hygiene, not eating two hours before bed. And part of it also is not only do we have this increased sympathetic drive, but because we have this elevation in estrogen, it has a, a play in with melatonin so that we don't produce as much melatonin. So it's harder to get into that deep sleep. And progesterone increasing our core temperature, we have a higher baseline resting core temperature. So it's hard to get into that drop in your temperature in order to get into the slow wave sleep. So the way that we can look to counter it is something like cold tart cherry juice within 30 minutes before going to bed. Mm. The coldness of the drink drops your core temperature to be able to oscillate below that kind of waking line and you can drift off into a good deep sleep. And then the tart cherry juice works with your body to produce more melatonin because it also contains melatonin, but not using melatonin tablets because melatonin tablets is a big hit of melatonin and it doesn't work with your body. It's, it's giving it too much. So then you can wake up feeling hungover or really lethargic. So it's looking at some of the more um, natural ways to work with your body to mitigate what estrogen and progesterone are doing. So interesting. So, so interesting. And really, I mean, the last thing that I want to touch on here would be, I'm so sure that there are so many women listening to this podcast right now who may not have a quote unquote regular cycle. I mean, I'm certainly one of them in that I have been told for years that my period coming quote unquote when it wants to is large in part because I'm quote unquote super active and going to many, many different OBGYNs over the years, literally, I've just been told, well, like, do you feel okay? And for the most part, yeah, I feel fine. But it sucks not knowing when I'm going to like sporadically get my cycle despite being on birth control pills. So anyway, that's just my personal complaint here. But for women that don't have a quote unquote normal cycle, what advice do you offer to them when it comes to losing your period? And should we be concerned about getting it back? Oh my gosh, there's so much to impact there. First, being on an oral contraceptive pill or birth control does not give you a period, does not give you a cycle. 
that downregulates your natural hormones. And so it's not a true representation of your endocrine system. Even the sugar pill week and the bleed that you get with contraception is a withdrawal bleed. So it's really not a true period bleed. If you've had issues before and you've been put on an OC because you've had issues of not having a menstrual cycle or having irregularities, that problem is still going to be there. If you lose your period, then that is also a clinical problem. And a lot of it, again, comes from not eating appropriately. It doesn't mean not eating enough. It means not eating appropriately, where you have big holes in your day where you have high stress and low nutrients. Can be, again, the early morning training and then super busy and not eating breakfast, not eating till like 10, and then not eating again until two or three, and then having dinner and then going to bed. So you have these big holes where your body's like, I don't have enough nutrition coming in. What happens with that is we have two areas in the brain, in the hypothalamus specifically, that have um, the expression of kispeptin neurons. Now, kispeptin is super important for regulating the endocrine system as well as the full function of um, your menstrual cycle. If you do not have enough carbohydrate and food coming in, it downregulates kispeptin. And if it downregulates kispeptin, we don't get a luteinizing hormone surge. If we don't have a luteinizing hormone surge, then we won't have ovulation. If you have um, no ovulation, then you don't have progesterone. And then you start to see this irregular pattern to no periods. And that's a sign that there is significant endocrine dysfunction. What we can do about it, if it's early days and you're starting to see really erratic periods where it might come and it might go, it might come and it might go, is really dialing in that nutrition in and around your training so that you stay out of that catabolic or breakdown state. If you have lost your period, this is secondary amenorrhea, and it's a significant clinical state, and it can be the precursor to full relative energy deficiency in sport. And this is a syndrome where you start having cardiovascular issues, gut, psychological, immunological, just a whole gamut of problems. And you can start to say or see it as my periods are irregular and I'm having a lot of GI distress when I'm exercising. So this is another like warning sign that you're just on the cusp of hitting the syndrome. And the long-term effect of it is we look at it at our bone density goes down. We end up with sarcopenia, which means that we don't have a lot of really good muscle integrity. We end up with a lot of fat tissue within the muscle. Um, gut dysregulation, uh, a lot of cardiovascular problems. So you can see high blood lipids. You can see heart arrhythmias. So it's, it's a significant impact on overall health. So for women who don't have periods, please go see somebody like go see an endocrinologist who understands it, but also don't let them tell you, you have to stop everything. Cause I work with a lot of uh, professional female athletes who can't stop what they're doing because they're in a contract. So what we do is we look at the Delta or the change. So we see how much they're expending in a day when they're eating to support the stress. And we back it down where we go, let's drop volume. Let's keep intensity. And the intensity can be through some interval training or can be through resistance training. So we're maintaining fitness levels and we can start to keep building a bit on the fitness, but we've dropped the volume. So energy expenditure is not as high and we fuel specifically in and around each training session so that their calorie needs are there when their body's under stress. And as the body starts to understand this, kispeptin turns back on. 
because peptin turns back on, then you get the luteinizing hormone surge and periods come back. So it's, it's a little bit of a, what is my training? Why are my periods going away? And how can I back down that volume and match my nutrition to support the stress I'm under? And it's not necessarily the training stress either. It's also life stress. So it's that whole allosteric stress compound of when we start to have too much daily stress and training stress and not supporting it with good nutrition, then our endocrine system takes a hit. And when we look at it, why it's not as well known, especially in practitioners, is the threshold for men is so much, I guess I shouldn't say lower, but it is with regards to calorie intake. So men need around 15 calories per kilogram before they start seeing um, dysfunction. But for women, that's 35 to 40. So in order not, not to have that dysfunction, we need that 35 to 40 calories per kilogram of body weight just to maintain really good health. And this is where we start seeing all the discrepancies between those trendy diets too, like ketogenic diet, low carb, high fat, intermittent fasting, how they all work on the male population. And they don't get endocrine dysfunction and they lean up, they get fitter, they get faster. But for women, start to get endocrine dysfunction, putting on weight, fatigue, lethargy, and it's just not working. And it has to do with this threshold sensitivity in the brain of calorie needs and how do we support our bodies to really adapt to all the stress we're putting under it. So the long or the short of the long is eat more around your training. Eat. (laughs) Very important. Very important. Well, so many amazing takeaways here. I'm so grateful for your time. Dr. Sims, how do the Hurdle listeners follow along with you? How do they keep up with you for more intel? Give us your details. Uh, Yep. So social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, Dr. Stacey Sims, and we're posting lots of tidbits of information from puberty all the way to to menopause and postmenopause. And then on my website, drstacysims.com has a list of all the courses that we have going, um, events I'm speaking at, different podcasts, yours and profile, of course, and uh, all the stuff that I'm up to and publications and stuff that are coming out. Thank you so much. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>